My name is Mark Sandoval. Um, some people ask, well, why do you say many children uh, and don't actually <laughs> name a number? Um, it's not because I can't remember, um, but we do have a number of individuals that are very close to the family that call themselves children, and they call us dad and mom and, and so on that are not biological children, and so they come in that many number as well, but we do have six biological children of our own. Right now, between the ages of 18 and 4, and uh, while I speak on a number of different topics, I have vowed I will not speak on parenting <laughs> until a number of them are launched into their 20s and they're doing well. <laughs> and if that's the case, then I'll, then I'll say some things about parenting. But until then, I will keep my humble mouth shut. Because <clears throat> if there is anything that teaches you anything about your own nature, it's having children, right? And, uh, and the nature that they, uh, that they have and that they provide. And um, so before I get into right now, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. You are a great God, and we are grateful for all that you do. And Lord, as we come to understand how we might be free, how you made it possible for us to be free, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be here to teach us, and we thank you for doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> now, let's see, yes. Um, I'm gonna be, we're going to be passing around some sign-up sheets for those who are interested um, to, um, uh, let's see, what does this thing work on? This thing. Does that work on something? Um, anyways, for those who are uh, <clears throat> who are interested, we put out a week. I mean, a, a monthly newsletter. If you're on the newsletter, you'll recognize this month's newsletter didn't go out because I've been really busy and I haven't had time to write it yet. Um, so <clears throat> maybe I'll do that on the airplane tomorrow. Um, but uh, you know, the, the spiritually encouraging plus mental health improving. Uh, types of articles uh, that are there that you can benefit from. And uh, if there are any um, <clears throat> resources that you're interested in, the ministry is new. It's new. I, we moved from Uchi Pines uh, November 1st to Misery. So we live in Misery now. And uh, Misery loves company, so you can come and, and, uh, and join us as well. And so uh, we are right in the smack dab middle of the United States, the population of the U.S. And, um, <clears throat> and, and, and so, uh, yes, we're, we're getting to know a new place and a new location and new people and, and starting a new ministry. There we go. And uh, that minute, you can find whatever resources we have will eventually end up on the website, which is npmen.org. Or if you can't figure that out, then New, pa new Paradigm Ministries. Dot org or dot com, it'll get you there. And um, <clears throat> grateful for Charles and his crew that have, that are putting together the website um, that's there with Sabatech and, and so on. And anyways, yes, we're doing virtual counseling and health consultations and traveling and doing seminars. And I'm trying to write. Um, there's some of you have the Law of Life book, um, and uh, if you don't have it, then Talk to somebody that does and ask them whether or not you should have it or not. Um, I shouldn't be the one endorsing it. It should be somebody who's read it and it has, you know, <clears throat> they've tried it on. Um, there'll be another book coming out fairly soon called Lessons from, uh, Life Lessons from Luke, Volume 1. So all I got in was the comments for the first four chapters of Luke. So I'm not sure exactly how many volumes it'll end up being uh, when I get done with it. But, um, you know, just insights of a physician commenting on the physician and the physician's uh, impressions of Christ and Christ's life and, and so on. And eventually in the future, what we're going to plan to do is uh, put together a curriculum that will help individuals to walk to freedom from wherever they're at in their life and their struggles. 
and, uh, and then make that available, of course, in print form and electronic form, but also making an app that people can access wherever they are and, and be able to then use the materials and videos and other things of that nature to walk them along uh, on a pathway to freedom, and then putting together a training program for uh, lay church members to be able to do the same, take the material and work with others uh, in their area and in your communities to help individuals to be free. Now, we're talking this weekend here about <clears throat> uh, healing the broken mind. And uh, if we are going to be talking about healing the broken mind, we have to get to the very core of that. And the very core of healing the broken mind is something that science does not have the answer for and will never have the answer for. So if you go looking for the answer with science, you're not going to find it. And <clears throat> that's because it lies outside of science. Uh, if you want the solution, you have to go here. Because there's only one place that you can go free, and there's only one way that you can go free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's one way, and it's a narrow way, and there's a reason that it's a narrow way. But I want to talk to you today about this, about the cross, and, and how we go free. What did God do there at the cross in order to set us free? Because it is, it is pivotal to everything. It really is. It's pivotal to everything. And yes, our launching text for today is... Click, 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 click. There we go. You just have to lean a little bit into it. <clears throat> for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For he, the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin, right? Never committed sin, never, not even in a thought or word or action, uh, never, you know, there was temptation in his life, sure there was. He was, you know, tempted as, as we are, yet without sin, right? Without sin. And, uh, and so he never gave in to it at all in his life from birth into death. And, and, and he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And to be something is different than to be like something. It's different to be associated with something. It's different than carrying something. It's different than any of those things. To be something is entirely different. And, and Ellen White affirms this as well in Desire of Ages. I think it's about page 755 uh, that she says that he became sin itself. Right? Became sin itself. And uh, I can't understand that. That's just incomprehensible to me in my, my human mind. I just can't wrap around that. How the perfect, spotless Son of God who never sinned became that very thing which the Father hates. But He did so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I can't picture that one either. Because I know me. And I know humanity, and I know our sinful nature, and I know what we struggle with, and I know what we fall to, and so on and so forth, at least to a degree. There, I, there, I'm always learning. <laughs> and there's greater depths of evil that come out. <laughs> and then I go, oh, man, that there too? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's more that I see when I, you know, when I interact with people. And yet there's more of the grace and glory and, and graciousness of God, right? Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So let's just get into this so that we can understand the cross uh, in a maybe a little bit different way than we have. So there's the experience of Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? So he had a dual nature that um, is slightly different than ours. Anybody here fully God? No. Anybody here fully man? Yeah, all right, all right. So, good, I'm talking to the right crowd. Um, so he was fully God and he was fully man and he did the man part perfect, right? Never sinned, never gave in to anything. He, 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 was, he was just the epitome of what the law of God should be in practice and living color, right? And, and we're told that not for himself, but for others, he lived and thought and prayed. 
So if everything you do in your life is always for others, then if someone else does something to you, do you take it personal? You're not sure. You're really not sure. Right? Well, what is taking it personal? Taking it personal is, is looking at, okay, well, what did they do to me? And how did that affect me? And how do I feel about that? And, 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 and so on, right? Now, what somebody does and what somebody says and how they say it and how they do it, where did it come from? We talked about yesterday. You get the bottle and you knock it over. What comes out comes out because that's what's inside. That's what's inside the bottle. That's right. So it can't come out if it's not in the bottle. So it's not what knocks the thing over that determines what comes out. What comes out is because that's what's in. That's what's in. That's right. So when somebody says something, when somebody does something, and how they say it and how they do it, who is that about? Them. It's about them. Even if they say it to you, it's not about you. It's about them because it couldn't come out of them if it weren't in them. And Jesus knew that. He recognized that. That what other people said and what they did and how they say it and how they did it, it wasn't about him even if they did it to him because it couldn't come out of them if it weren't in them. So, Jesus went through life without ever taking anything personal. What people said and did. Right. <clears throat> without taking anything personal. He was never personally hurt. And he had a love that was selfless, completely unselfish. That's right. Beautiful. You know, always for the good of others, sacrificing himself. And he responded perfectly to everything that ever happened to him. Because you and I, how do, why do we respond? All right, yeah, so we have selfishness. How much of it? A little bit. So you get married and you find out you got a little bit more. Then you have children and you find out you got a whole lot more. Right? So we have selfishness and we respond out of selfishness. And so we, we respond because of how we feel. We respond because of what's in us. We respond from that standpoint. But Jesus did not. He did what he did because that's what they needed. That's what they needed. Right? When Jesus was cleansing the temple, why did he manifest the way that he did? Was it because he had lost it? <clears throat> was it? No. It's because they and we now needed that manifestation. We need it. They needed it. And so he manifested it for us. Right? <clears throat> Did it come out because um, it was in there? Yes. Couldn't come out otherwise. But was it a selfish anger? No. Not at all. It wasn't a selfish anger. It was a selfless one. Right? So he had good ripples. What do I mean by good ripples? Well, you know, yeah, you take a stone, you drop it in the water, and, well, the effect is not just the immediate dropping in the water, but it kind of goes out from there. There's cause and effect. There is influence, right? And, and, and that kind of reverberates along. If you don't know that you have influence, <clears throat> just hang around people. And if you don't know that they have influence, just hang around people, right? And you'll find out. And if you really want to know if you have influence, have children, And you will see something come out in the next generation that is strangely familiar. <laughs> because you looked at it in the mirror for many years before you ever had the children. And now you get to look at it in reality. <laughs> and if you're not convinced by that generation, just wait until that generation has their children and you have grandchildren. And guess what? You'll find out your influence continues along. And... Do we have a good nature or a bad nature? So what kind of ripples do we have? Bad ripples. And you can't ever get them back. You can't. You can't undo what you said. You can't undo what you did. 
You can't go time travel and go take that thing back. It is what it is, and you cannot get it back. Right? <clears throat> and he had power. Power. And he, he had perfect ripples. I, mean, I was talking about our ripples. <laughs> he had perfect ripples. A perfect life. No sin. No nothing. Always for the good of others. And those ripples went out through all time and space. Adam and Eve, did they benefit from those ripples? Yeah, definitely. Do we benefit from those ripples? Yeah. Are those ripples going to go throughout all time? Yeah. Are we the only planet that's going to benefit from those ripples? No. Throughout all space as well? So his life goes throughout all time and all space and it influences everyone for good. Right. And he had power. Power to do the good and power to avoid the evil. Right. And he came to the cross with not a single suitcase. I've got a backpack carry-on and a suitcase. Not just for a weekend. I'm going to overseas tomorrow and, and so on. So I was packing for two weeks. But, you know, if it's a short trip like this, I can usually get it in a carry-on and, and, and whatever. But <clears throat> he came to the cross, zero baggage, right? Zero baggage. Beautiful. And that kind of life deserves eternal life. Deserves eternal life. Now, what about you and I? Do we come to the cross with the same background? No? Is our slightly different? All right, the opposite. All right. So we do the man part, and we don't do the man part so well. So he was perfect. I like to say he was righteousful. Right? He was righteousful. Righteousful means he was full of righteousness, and full means... Yeah, you know, complete, full, no room for anything else, and so on. So he was righteous, full. We are sinful. <laughs> That's right. Or unrighteous, full. You know, we are, yeah. <clears throat> so we are sinful. Right? So full of sin, there's no room for anything else. He took nothing personally. We? Everything. We take, mm, you, uh, mm, mm, mm. Your spouse looks at you that way, you know why they're looking at you that way. And <laughs> your children start pouting that lip out, and you know what's coming next. <clears throat> right? You take it part, oh, and that person cuts you off. <clears throat> you take it personal? Yeah. Every time. Every time humanity takes it personal. And, of course, we have a love that is selfish, not a love that is selfless. It's always for us, not for others. And since, uh, well, do we respond for ourselves or for others? For ourselves. We respond to others, but we respond for ourselves. And if we do so, do we end up hurting other people? Yeah. So we're perpetrators. We are. We're perpetrators. And... Are there situations, circumstances that we didn't ask for and we don't care for, but it was done to us anyways and we were the recipients of that and we still have the problem? Yeah, so we're victims. Right? <clears throat> we're perpetrators, we're victims. And as I talked about before, we have bad ripples. How bad ripples? Because that's a bad life. And we find ourselves powerless. Because we have a nature that is evil. And that nature itself can never produce anything good. You cannot bring something good out of something that is bad. That's what Jesus said. Right? And I won't go over that. And we did that last night, right? <clears throat> so, so our nature can never bring about anything that is good. Never doesn't have the capacity to do so. You can, you, you can try to exercise your chooser all you want to. Your chooser is never going to be able to overcome sin. It's never going to be able to overcome itself. Right. Never. So if you try to choose your way into heaven, sorry, you're not getting there. You're not. And, and we, many times, especially when you get to the conservative side of whatever denomination that you're talking of, and I know which denomination I'm talking to right now, but you know, um, when you get to the conservative side of any, any denomination, 
then there's all sorts of different false gods that we end up relying upon, and one of those is choice. Because if we believe, <laughs> if we are evil, if we have an evil nature, and we believe that in that evil nature we can choose good and extract ourselves from the evil by the choices, right, by choosing then we have the idea that choice can create that which we do not have, but choice does not create. If it did, it was a God. Choice can only select from that which is available. And yes, there is a role that choice plays, but we get that role a bit mixed up, quite a bit so. Because we try to choose our way out of temptation, we try to choose our way out of our nature, we try to choose our way out of sin, and it will never work. Never work. We're powerless to do the good and avoid the evil. And we come to the cross with baggage. Baggage. Lots of baggage. Heavy baggage. And that life deserves eternal death. That's right. <clears throat> deserves eternal death. So understanding the, the audience that I'm dealing with, I'm just going to skip over the Old Testament stuff except for this right here. Did the lamb sin? No, not at all. Does it know anything about the sin that was done? No, no. But that individual confesses their sin over the head of that lamb, and in symbol, the sin is transferred to the lamb, and the sinner takes the knife and slits the neck of that lamb, so it bleeds to death. The lamb pays the penalty for the sin, but the lamb never participates in the sin. Right? So let's take that to the cross. Here on the cross, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So in the experience of the Garden of Gethsemane, because that's, you know, that it, it really started there, be, you know, right after the 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 Last Supper with his disciples, and then the weight of the sins of the world was placed upon him. He became sin itself there in the Garden of Gethsemane and through his trial and on the cross and until his death and so on. All of that time, he, he had this experience of being sin itself. And there in that time of that experience, and especially we will focus on the cross and him being on the cross, who was it then that was the sinner? That was sinful. You've never been on the cross. Who is sinful? Jesus. That's right. Now, again, he did not commit sin. He did not give in to temptation. But he who knew no sin became sin for us. Right? So as our substitute... On the cross, it was Jesus who was sinful. And as our substitute on the cross, who was it that took everything personally? Who was it? It was Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that he was taking it personally at that time. I'm saying as our substitute, who was it that took everything personally? Jesus. And on the cross, who was it that was selfish? I know, it hurts. Who was selfish? Jesus. That's right. On the cross, who was the perpetrator? Jesus. On the cross, who was the victim? Jesus. On the cross... Who was the one with the bad ripples you could never get back? Jesus. On the cross, who was the one that was powerless to do the good and avoid the evil? Jesus. And on the cross, who was left carrying the baggage? Jesus. <clears throat> and that life deserves eternal death. And that's exactly the death he died. The second death. Right? 
That's exactly the death he died. That's exactly the penalty he paid. It wasn't just the pangs of the first death. He did that too. He died both deaths on the cross. He died the second death first before he cried, it is finished. And then he died the first death. Because before he cried, it is finished. He put the sting of death to death in himself. The sting of death is sin. And he put it, that very nature, that we can never overcome, to death in himself before he died the first death on the cross. <clears throat> for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. So the other side of this equation is that when you and I enter into that experience of the cross, who is it that's perfect? Hello? Who's perfect? We are. That's right. Who is it that has never taken anything personally? It's me. Who is it that has a selfless love, always for the good of others? Who is it? It's me. That's right. Who is it that has a perfect response to everything that ever happened? Man, you guys are quiet. You not sure about this? Who is it that gets that perfect response? Yeah, he's the one that did it. Who gets it? We do. Entering into that experience of the cross, who is it that's left with the good ripples through all time and space? We are. On the cross, in that experience of the cross, in that exchange of the cross, when we enter into it, then who is it that then has power to do the good and avoid the evil? It's us. And who's left with no baggage? And that life deserves eternal life. That's right. It is an exchange. It is an exchange of life for life, past for past, history for history. Christ steps into everything our life has ever been. And he takes it all. And he bears it in himself on the cross. He becomes that sin for us so that that penalty of that sin might be paid for and he might set us free and give us the reward that his life was because he then moves us off into his timeline, his history, his past, and you and I get everything his life was, ever was. He takes my life. I get his life. And <clears throat> so that is made possible by grace. We can never make it possible. We can never do anything to earn it, deserve it, or anything of that nature. If we try to pay for it, it just shows how little we think the price is. Right. <clears throat> no, it's all by God's grace all by his work and his effort and his everything that he put together before you were even born. Before you even came into existence, he already solved your problem. Right? Solution's already there. It's already figured out, figured out, already worked out, right? Yes, there's a work that he is currently doing in the heavenly sanctuary, and that is important as well. Right? I'm not saying that atonement was finished at the cross. There's still a process that's going on currently in his ministration in the heavenly sanctuary, and we understand that. But I do want us to understand what happened at the cross. 
<clears throat> because God's grace offers this gift, who does he offer it to? Who is this gift offered to? Every sinner. Every sinner, whether they will accept it or not. Jesus became the sin of Cain on the cross. Jesus became the sin of Nero on the cross. He became the sin of Hitler on the cross. He became the sin of me on the cross. So that each of us would have the opportunity. But does everyone take the opportunity? No. Not everyone takes the opportunity because while grace offers the gift to everyone, the gift can only be accepted by an individual. And it is accepted by faith. It is faith that takes that gift and accepts it so that it's my very own. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, right, has faith in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. What kind of... <laughs> it's not just the reward that you get. It's the life that you get too. Right? It's not just a reward of eternal life. It is the life of Christ that you get. It is not just taking away the penalty of your sinful life and the past and so on. It's taking your past and your sin entirely. It's not just about reward and penalty. It's about life and life. And it's about nature and nature. Because when we enter into the experience of the cross, not only do we get the life that Christ had, but we also get the nature of the crucified and risen Savior. And now, now, there is something within you that is good. Now there is something within you that can make a right choice. Now there is something within you where the battle begins. If you thought the battle was bad before you get to the cross... wait until you get there. And then the battle of natures really begins. <laughs> and whom will you serve? Now you have a choice. <clears throat> All right, so let's just dig into this a little bit more. Um, let's do the perpetrator victim. I like looking at these because that's usually where we see ourselves. We see ourselves as a perpetrator or we see ourselves as a victim. And usually we see ourselves as both, depending on the circumstances of the situation. And if you're the perpetrator, then there's guilt. There is shame. Oh, I should have done Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, man, I, was so, I can't believe I did that. Right. Well, the reason you can't believe you did it because you don't really understand your nature yet. If you understood your nature, you would understand exactly why you just did what you did. And you would understand why, in relying upon that nature, you could not do what you just did. Right? Notice the words. <laughs> relying upon your nature... You cannot do what you just, you cannot not do what you just did, right? Now, there's another reliance that can help you out of that situation. But relying on your nature will never get you out. Never. So, a situation arises in your life where there was 
contention between you and another individual. And that contention continued to grow in a very exponential manner. And you did something you never would have imagined that you would have done. And at the end of this encounter, well, there's a dead body laying in front of you. And you're the only other one that was around, and so you know who did it. And you look at it and you go, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, bad day, bad day, really bad day. And then you start thinking about prison and, you know, other things of that nature, and you don't exactly want to go there. And so you, <clears throat> you start thinking about what you can do to undo what was done. You can't undo it, but you might be able to hide it. And you do. And you get away with it. And nobody finds out what you were doing. Or that it was you that did it. And, and you know, you, you kind of on the low, lay low for a little while and, and so on. And, you know, just keep doing work and other things like you used to. And smile and, you know, and just lie your way through whatever you're in. And you continue doing so. And maybe after a year you think it's enough time I can move away from this place and not be reminded by the, you know, location and circumstances. And so you move somewhere else. And, and you know, you get a different job and you do some other stuff over there. And, and at least you're free. Right? You're not in prison. But the problem is, everywhere you go, well, there you are. Right? You ever had that problem? You went somewhere and you found out you were there when you arrived? So frustrating, right? So you go there and you remember what you did and you know that you shouldn't have done it and you know that it was bad and you know it came out of you and you know there should be a penalty for this but you really don't want the penalty and so you've been hiding all this time and, you know, lies and all that kind of stuff and you've been doing this for years maybe. And today you find out about the cross and you, you realize that what God is offering to you is He's offering to step into your timeline, your past, your history, your everything. He is willing to step into that act and everything that ever happened around it. He's willing to step into the lies. He's willing to step into the guilt and the shame and, and all that kind of stuff and the moving around and doing all these things and, and all the ways that you responded. He's willing to step into all of it and it be His own. In exchange, take you and put you into his timeline, into his past, his history, where he never did anything like that. He didn't even think it. And you realize he's standing there holding the gift out to you. Here, you can have it. I already paid for it. I already made it available. I already made it ready. It's here. It's yours. What do you have to do? Accept it. Take it by faith. Accept it as your own. And when you do, who's not the murderer? It's not me anymore. Because he took my place. Now, sometimes it gets a little confusing for us because the cross does not usually intersect with cause and effect. On a human stand, on a human level, right? On an earth level. So you, you know, you you confess, you repent, you 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 do all of this, and and you know the authorities find out who done it, <laughs> and they take you to court, and there's a trial, and and you plead, well, you plead guilty, right? They said, did you do, yeah, well, it was, I was standing there, and I remember every act, and he, sure, yes, yes. And they sentence you to life in prison, and now you're in prison, exactly where you didn't want to be. But are you guilty, or are you innocent? Well, if you went to court and the county court said, you're guilty, and you appealed that up to the state court and, or regional or whatever, or the appellate court or whatever it is, and then they said, you know, innocent, and you go up to the next one, they say guilty, and you finally appeal that thing up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says innocent. 
What are you considered? Innocent, right? Because it's, it's the highest jurisdiction that determines that. So if the Supreme Court says you're guilty and the heavenly court says you're innocent, what are you? You're innocent. That's right, you're innocent. So now you're in prison and your captivity has changed. Because before you were free in the body, but you were captive in the mind. And now you are captive in the body, but you're free in the mind. And now you know there's nothing that they could ever do to you to take away your freedom. So you now can live free in prison because of the cross and what God did for you. Right? Now, it's not just what you did to others. It's what others have done to you as well, right? Uh, anybody here have perfect parents? All right. I got to put my hands down too. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. But I got to put them down too. I didn't have perfect parents either. Any of you have perfect siblings? <laughs> no. And you know what your siblings are saying? No. Mm -mm. no. Definitely not. That's right. So you didn't have perfect parents. You didn't have perfect siblings. You didn't have perfect circumstances. You didn't have... Mm. And there is evil in this world. There's evil in this world. And evil has happened to you. And for many of us, evil happened to us by the ones who should have loved us. But they were just as selfish as we are. And they use others for their own gains just like we do. And sure, there are certain things that we might not have perpetrated in action. But come on, you haven't thought about it? Honestly? Yeah. So, so yes, there are many things that have happened to us. We talk about trauma, right? And, and, and the traumas that individuals have been through. And then, because you go through trauma, now you're a victim. But how, how long does it take for you to unvictim? Like, how long did Jesus victim? I mean, did bad stuff happen to him? Yeah. So, how long did it take Jesus before he could... I know, they're, online they're loving this. You know, and to, you know, to unvictim so that he's no longer the victim. How long did it take him? He didn't even take it in the first place. He didn't even take it in the first place. Because victimhood is not what happened to you, victimhood is how you respond to what happened to you. It's your own thinking and your own thought patterns associated to what happened. And guess what? The thing that happened can be 10, 15, 20, 25, 50 years. A long time ago. And you're still the victim. Why? Because the problem still... You're walking around with it. Because the problem's not what happened. The problem's how you respond to it. And Jesus didn't take it personally in the first place. And it never stuck. Not even for a millisecond. And there was all sorts of evil that was done to Jesus. But he didn't take it personally. I have, in counseling with many different individuals, uh, especially those that have been taken advantage of in a certain way, <clears throat> um, I have asked them, if you, have, um, if you had infinite power 
and zero accountability, what would you do to them? Yeah. Infinite power and zero accountability, what would you do to them? You know what the vast majority tell me? I'd snap them out of existence. And then the majority of those say, no, wait. That's too easy. I'd torture them first. And then I'd kill them. I mean, if you are seriously taken advantage of by somebody else who should be taking care of you, do you not have those kind of thoughts too? The reason we don't accomplish them is because we don't have the opportunity. We don't have the power. We don't have the opportunity. But the thought's there. And if we had infinite power, and if we had the opportunity, and there was no accountability for it, guess what? We'd do it. We would do it. Why? Because every evil that ever exists is in me. Because I have sinful fallen human nature, and that sinful fallen human nature can do everything evil possible. And if I had the power of God, and I was God himself without anybody to hold accountable, what would I do? There's a reason there can't be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. And of God's power. Because we're still of a mindset of using God's power. And if we have the mindset of sinful nature that would take that power and do evil with it, including making others be good, because making others be good is evil... then we would use it to be evil. And there has to be a change, a transformation of our very selves, our very nature, which can only happen at the cross. Two points and I'll close. <laughs> Before the cross, how many perpetrators are there? Between Jesus and me, nobody else in the world, just the two of us, how many perpetrators before the cross? One, who is it? Me. me. After the cross, between Jesus and me, how many perpetrators? One, who is it? Jesus. Jesus. All right, pay attention. This is important. If you're still the perpetrator, if you're still the one who said and did those things, if you still have the guilt and the shame and all that kind of stuff and the self-hatred going along with it, you're still living in an experience that is before the cross. Because when you come to the cross, Jesus takes your place. He sets you free. You cannot continue to be the perpetrator and enter into the experience of the cross. Because by its very nature, the cross sets you free from being the perpetrator. Before the cross, between Jesus and me, how many victims? Who is it? After the cross, how many victims? Who is it? All right. If you're still the victim... If they still said and did those things to you, if you're still holding on to the resentment and the bitterness and, you know, and that kind of stuff from what they said and done, you're living in an experience that's before the cross. You cannot enter into the experience of the cross and continue to be the victim because by its very nature, the cross sets you free from being the victim because Jesus takes your place. Jesus takes your place. Oh, I have so much more to say about this. There's really so much more to say, but apparently there's not that much more time. So I'll leave it at this. But I'm sure that there are plenty of questions that have been raised in your mind. This evening's meeting, the 645 meeting, I'm just going to scrap the topic. Don't you love it when speakers do that? Yeah, I'm just going to scrap the topic. We're just going to talk. We'll just talk, we'll Q&A, we'll talk about these different things, there's questions, how does this go, what does that go, and, you know, and so on, and it'll be, I don't know, maybe it'll be as fun as a counseling session. <laughs> but we'll just talk about the, the things that are on your heart, and the things that you're still struggling with. 
And how can we go from point where you are to point where you can be free? Right. But this is key. If we don't have the cross, if we don't understand the cross, and we don't come to the cross, you can't be free. There's only one place you can be free and only one way. It's at the cross and it's by faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, here we are. What a wonderful God you are. Thank you. Thank you for the gift that you have given at the cross. And we're just scratching the surface. There are so many more layers to this. So many more. But Lord, maybe there's somebody now that recognizes, oh yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm living in the experience before the cross. Yeah, I've been in church. Yeah, I've been here all, you know, all my life or most of my life or some of my life. And I'm, I still haven't found that freedom. Well, just as that inspired allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian carried that backpack, that burden for a long time of that journey until he came to the cross. And there, that backpack, that burden fell off. And there are some that are needing that burden to fall off today. And they're here. Say, Lord, yes, I've been the perpetrator. Yes, I've been the victim. Yes, I've been holding on to these things, the guilt and shame and bitterness and revenge and all that kind of stuff. And maybe, maybe I've come to that Christian place where, no, no, I don't hold it against you anymore. But if you live far away and I never see you anymore, then that's just fine. Which is no freedom at all and no forgiveness at all. Lord, maybe that's where we're at. And we need to be free. And here you are. Everything put together for us already. And you hand the gift to us. And Lord, we choose to take it. As our very own that we might have all of the life of Christ and you take all of our life so that now we exist in the life of Christ and not our own. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free. This we pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.